Conversate Trans is an intergenerational podcast series exploring trans culture. The podcast, developed by the Sterlings Collective with funding from Create in collaboration with Tenny, with continued participation of the trans community, explores invisible histories and culture through intergenerational dialogue and archival materials. Having worked closely with members of the trans community over the last two years, the collective recognized the need for intergenerational dialogue and community care for trans people, and this podcast aims to be one part of this. Hi, I'm Jules. And I'm Alexandra. And this is a new episode of Conversate Trans. And today we have Alana. Alana, do you want to tell us about yourself? Hey, yes. Um, I'm Alana. Lana to my mates. Um, that bitch over there to random passing strangers. Um, I suppose people would call me a leader. I don't really know what that word means even now. Um, but basically I've been a mouthpiece for the past few years, um, for disabled rights, LGBT rights, um, and particularly, uh, LGBTQ access, disabled access, um, to social spaces. So like nightclubs and stuff like that. So that's me. And did you bring an object with you today? Uh, yeah. So I brought a photo book that I picked up when I was in America um, on uh, the Stonewall riots and kind of the, the transition period between um, kind of getting to Stonewall and then afterwards. Oh, that's really cool. Um, is it like a picture of the events of Stonewall? Yeah, it's like a whole book of people and kind of the history as it progressed, like from protests and, you know, rallies to just people existing in place. Um, and I think it was really interesting for me because like, obviously I grew up in Mo, like it's, it's rural Ireland, um, ish, like I grew up in Navin, um, and (laughs) I, sorry, not too far from me then. And I kind of, well, it feels rural because like, I'd never, I'd never really been around anything like it was straight people. Yeah. Like and there was no kind of deviation from that and like even in my family like I I'm the gay of the of the family the nominated gay of the family um like no uncles no aunts no cousins or anything and like now that seems strange because like all my friends have like the gay uncle or the gay aunt or like they have like a pack of them um but I didn't um in primary school and secondary school I went to an all-Irish school and that was out the country uh so I was kind of I was very I had a very kind of small view of kind of what the world was and when I got to college it was a bit like my world was a little bit bigger but it was still quite small like I I went to college in Dundalk but then I I think I was in I was in my first year of my postgrad and I got to go away uh on a J one for the for six weeks uh with a leadership program and it was the fiftieth anniversary of Stonewall and you know I was around so many people that were just so secure in like their, their gay identity and their trans identity and everything else um we we kind of had a joke that we were the gayest year to ever to ever exist 
Um, but like we marched in pride and that was my first pride at the age of like 21, 22. Um, and it was just, it was really interesting to kind of go from like no representation whatsoever to like be in the representation and kind of, you know, sitting in that and kind of, you know, I had a conversation with a friend once that, you know, pe- that people that were younger than us would look at us to like be the the older gays. And I was like, whoa, like we are the older gays, you're right. Like, and I never, I never kind of thought of that. So I suppose the the book kind of, it's a good way to represent like my own journey from like straight to bi to you know maybe I have a weird like gender thing that I'm you know kind of dealing with that I'm not really sure what that is and I've never I've never experienced what that is before and then kind of back to back to cisgender and then to just kind of settle as just nothing like People people ask me and I, I say that I'm just too chill for gender. My gender is, is purely vibes. I love that. Um, actually, I feel like I, I can really like, relate to that story. Um, I grew up in Nace, well, outside Nace, which is probably less isolated than Navin, but it's still pretty, like, like it's not in Dublin and it's not really the country. They're kind of in this weird yeah. purgatory space um, where, like, nothing seems to happen and just, like, the, the, like something in dress, like, will happen and then it will, like, stop happening. Like, it will just nothing will come out of it, you know? I, I don't know. Um, yeah. But I, I really like that as well, just, to, um, just too chill for gender. Yeah, like, I just, I, I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> like, I've kind of, I've gotten to the point where I've, I was so worried, like, throughout the years I was like oh what are people going to think of me what are people going to think of this and you know I kind of I I came out to my granny um as by and she was like now are you sure are you sure it's not just a drunk thing and I was like well it might be <laughs> oh, no. she knows me way too well um I says no I don't think so but then I kind of I went into like a weird kind of headspace where I was like oh god maybe it is um and you know it took me like a year to kind of dig myself out of that and kind of kind of feel comfortable enough in kind of by identity and then all of a sudden my gender was throwing me a curveball was like ha more confusion and I was like no <laughs> give me I thought I had yeah Headline. like I had time to like I have this thing figured out now like I sh- I wasn't supposed to it wasn't supposed to be any harder than this. Um, but yeah, I suppose it's kind of my my weird, like, up up and down journey through it all. I, I do like that. Is that like the being drunk? Like, no, it's not a drunk thing. Being drunk helps. Yeah, 100%. And that was kind of, that was one of the things where that was like how, how I managed to do it. Because like in, in kind of as an, as a rurally educated young one, like there was none of that. There was always just you found a boy, you liked the boy, you kissed the boy, and it was simple, and that was that. And then 
I'd get hammered and I'd be like, hmm, girls, nice. And I would kind of go that way. And it was a case of I was kind of, I said it. I was like, I oh, know, that's just a drunk thing. It's grand. Don't worry about it. Um, Until it wasn't. Um, and I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> because it was so outside the norm. For me, anyway. I don't think it's outside the norm now. Like, my straight friends are very much in the minority at this stage. But, um, yeah, it was just at the time it was so strange there was no kind of info and then as well I you know I was disabled I was in a wheelchair and that kind of added a whole other layer because I was like you know where do I fit in that space like even in LGBT spaces like where do I fit in that where do I fit in like LGBT history like where where's the the day that I'm celebrating specifically, you know, like there's there's kind of bi visibility, there's trans visibility, there's all that, but there there's nothing kinda of on disabled people. So like as whopper as it is being gay, like I still feel like there's there's a space needed to kind of celebrate disabled people. But in that kind of whole thing, like, I feel like disabled people give a lot to to every community that, they are part, that they're a part of and kind of the intersections between all that. And, yeah, I just, I never felt like I fit. Therefore, I didn't really have much of a community because a lot of spaces, number one, were in Dublin, which I only started going to when I was, like, 20 or 21, Then when I wanted to go on nights out, I couldn't go because nowhere was accessible. And then all of a sudden there was this message that I wasn't accepted in these spaces. Like they weren't for me. I I mean, that's something we talked about before um, when we were at the outhouse, um, that there's all stairs. There's no elevator access or anything. Yeah. Um. And as well, like, I'm just thinking, like, I Panty Bar and um, 66, the back, well, the back areas, I guess, also have, like, stair- they, you need, they don't have uh, disability access. Yeah, like, six, 66 is inaccessible on both sides. They have, they have two entrances and both of them are inaccessible. So then I, you know, yeah. it's kind of all the lesbians and stuff that I knew were having conversations about like street 66 was like where lesbians go like to die in paradise, you know? Um, and I was like, haha, that's not me. <laughs> and then Panty Bear does actually have a bathroom. Um, I will give that to them, but it is locked and it's very, the door itself is very heavy. Um, so is there a bathroom upstairs? Yeah, there's a bathroom kind of, you go out the kind of the back door and the stairs, stairs is to one Uh side and then it's like this like red door. They use it for a changing room. So like there's a lot, there's lockers and stuff in there and you know, it's not overly accessible, but like it does the job. It's the same with the the George, like the George has, (laughs) the George has a bathroom and it's locked as well so you need someone to go get it and then they like keep like their 
floor cleaners and stuff in there. Um, so even if it is like accessible, it's not accessible. Yeah, I get you. Like it's just that little barrier that makes it so much harder. Like I don't know. I'm just thinking. I've had like social anxiety and stuff. That if you have that, which is like so common, on top of having a disability where you can't really access the bathrooms or like whatever. Um. Yeah, like, have you ever tried to, like, get someone's attention in a bar? Oh, yeah. And then you have to, like, come up, they have to come up to you, and they're like, oh, what do you want? And I'm like, I just need to Yeah, I I guess, especially if you can't, like, stand up to kind of, like, you know, people look over you, I'd imagine. Yeah, and, like, every bar that I go to, it's, like, at my forehead nearly. So I I always look really small, like I look like an, an infant going up to get a pint every time. Um... And like they, they kind of they look at me and like I feel like they're about to call my mom, um, but yeah, like it's just it's a weird it's a weird situation to be in when you're like okay, so this is me now this is like my identity, um, but then you have your disabled identity as well and like the LGBT identity and the disabled identity clash, and it, it's just a really like it makes you know, kind of accepting yourself so much harder because, like, you don't think that the community accepts you because they have no accessible spaces. So, you know, having no accessible spaces kind of translates into this isn't for you. Therefore, it's like this weird vicious cycle between ableism and sexuality and even just socialising. Like, as you said, like, outhouse. Um, I think they have, like, a little... They have a ramp that you need to, like, bring out. Um, But, like, someone would have to go in, get someone to bring the ramp down. And it's this big spectacle as well. And, like, I draw attention to myself, like, naturally as a person. But, like, Mm. I prefer to do it when it's my choice. Like, I want my... Like, I want attention 24-7. But I want attention that I invite rather than like unwanted, unneeded messing. <laughs> yeah, I remember when we were talking with Izzy Kamikaze, I think she was a part of the discussion of people talking about getting out And I think that like accessibility was mentioned, but I think what I gather, it was more like, oh, this bu- building is beautiful, like we'll make it work. And it's like you said, it's not a concern that a lot of non-disabled people have. And it's just like, oh, it doesn't, when it, we get to it, we'll do with it. They haven't really deal with it. Like, I think it's 22 or 23 years later. Yeah, it's like, oh, sorry, we didn't think of that then. Yeah. Disabled people weren't invented, mm-hmm. you know, back when we had these conversations. You know, they, they didn't exist. Disabled gay people just kind of came on the scene like the like the new thing um when actually we've been we've been here (laughs) we have been here you just have refused to see us because it's easier to cater for yourself and your own community and your own needs rather than actually look at the bigger picture and figure out kind of how how the lack of how your lack of instinct or kind of foresight can affect a whole group of people and can make it so much harder 
on this whole group of like young gays that may need someone or, you know, may need people. And it's just not there. Like, how would you, even if you were just going to meet someone, like, would you have to tell people beforehand? That would mean you'd have to at least know someone to be like, oh, I need help getting in to get the ramp. And a lot of people going to spaces wouldn't. Yeah, like, it kind of, I have gotten very kind of, I don't know, like, I've gotten very kind of able to just ask a random on the street. You know, oh, will you go and do that? And, but, like, you never know. I could be going to some random homophobe and be like, can you get me, a li- like, can you get someone to bring this lift down into this gay bar? Then all of a sudden, like, my teeth are on the floor and I still can't get into fucking outhouse. <laughs> so, you know, there, there's just something so violent about it all. Like... There's something so violent about telling an entire group of people that they can't come in somewhere. <laughs> I mean, even with Bolong, too, which is great for what it does, I don't think they have an elevator. No. I definitely don't think they do. And it's just, like, there's lots of doors and there's, like, these stairs. But I know with them, I think it was, like, this is a place we could afford, which just says a lot about Dublin in general and being like how inaccessible it is no definitely not yeah like obviously I completely understand that there, there, there's a sp- there's a space crisis yeah and there is a culture crisis mm-hmm. and everything but at the same time we shouldn't be I suppose sacrificing the disabled experience and the disabled gay experience because I think I think part of it is just it's such an artificial um, crisis like you know we have whatever people building hotels and stuff in Dublin and there's people who just need homes and uh, not, not to get into them but just... at this stage I would take like a a, sh- a shitty hotel disco because I know it'd be accessible mm. <laughs> over anything like I know I went I went to one rave um because I I had called them out previously when they first opened I was like here are you accessible and they said no and I was like why like what is the excuse and they listened and they made it accessible and I think that was the first example of actual kindness I had seen from like club promoters that were sympathetic to the fact that like I had nowhere to go. Um I don't I don't know if this is maybe um, the well I don't know. When we did um our first project which was the little speech that we did and um uh what we sorry I'm trying I can't really remember but um we were talking about somewhere with disability access and the only place we could find that was kinda of LGBT was the Ombudsman's office for children. Which is where uh belong to have their trans their uh individuality, which is their trans children's group, I guess. And uh it's it's awful the it's awful Jervis, it's in that like little alleyway with with the bosom and you have to go into a building where you have to be let in oh, yeah. and there's an elevator. And like that's the only place I can think of 
because that, that was a big part of why we chose that space. Yeah, and I think it's just one of them things where, like, I'm very privileged in a sense that I, well, I used to use a manual chair. Um, I'll, I'll get back to using my manual chair um, eventually, but when I kind of go back out into the world after my vaccines and everything, I'll be using a motorised chair. But the thing with the with the manual chair was that it could be lifted. So, like, anywhere that wasn't accessible, we made it work. Like, it was a case of it, it could be carried up the stairs. Or, like, small spaces didn't really matter because the chair was really small. Whereas now, I'm kind of going into a motorised chair and you just can't lift that. Like, they're heavy as fuck. Um, number yeah. one, they're massive. Number two. And I'm just got like, I've kind of, I've come to the realisation the past kind of few weeks that the place, even the very limited places that I could go are gone now. What do you mean? Because I either, I either won't fit. In oh, because you're in the, wheel, the electronic the, wheelchair. Yeah, like the electric wheelchair, it, they won't fit into those small bathrooms anymore. Or you won't be able to lift it up onto the, like you won't be able to lift the chair up onto the dance floor anymore. Like they, all, all of a sudden they're just gone and I genuinely have nowhere to go anymore. Um, that is like, I don't know, I, I never thought about like um, the idea that even among people with disabilities you can kind of have a privilege within having a disability. Yeah. In that way. Like, I think I'm, you know, I'm very much one of the more privileged ones. Like, I, you know, I will talk and people will listen because I make sure that they do. Like, I'm just, I'm too annoying to ignore. Um, <laughs> like, I, I will not stop until someone speaks to me. Um, and, you know, I'm able to, you know, get into places, like, kind of finicky places that other people wouldn't be I don't have any additional access requirements like an ISL interpreter or you know captions or anything like that um so people definitely warm up to me a lot quicker because I'm easy disabled yeah um but there's the whole there's a whole other and most other disabled people that just don't have that where they're not, you know, easy or perceived as easy, um, I should say. But yeah, like now all of a sudden I'm in this place now where I have to, where I'm joining the other, the other side where I have no choice but to, you know, I have these access requirements and that's it. And I say people's attitudes are going to, change to me fairly quick and I'm not really sure what like what I'm gonna do because I've had it so easy for so long and you know people people were so sound because I didn't ask them for anything and I think you know the reality is I'm gonna get a, a rude wake-up call when people aren't to sound because all of a sudden I, I need I need something extra I've mentioned this um on the podcast before but um if if we made, you know, accessibility for, if we thought about these things, accessibility for people with disabilities, any anything that makes it easier for yourself, or even just 
you know, approachable for yourself, but also make it easier for the rest of us. Because, I... like, if you're carrying luggage or you have a you know, baby or, you know, a buggy, anything that's accessible for people with wheelchairs is accessible for you as well. Yeah, like, and um, as well, stairs. Stairs in nightclubs will never make sense to me. Why is there stairs around a bunch of drunk people? Um, <laughs> that's a good point. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, having everything either on the flat or having, like, internal ramps would, like, stop so many places getting sued because drunk people have fallen yeah. down their stairs again. I think I've never actually, I think I've only been to, like, two discos in my life. So I can't, I think one was downstairs as well, but I don't remember it. So I, I don't have to experience the discos. I've been to the Georgia a couple of times, and it is such a, like, small space. And then they even have that elevated thing, but I know it's probably like drag queens to perform on but then people like get up on it anyway so it cra- there's like multiple levels in that very small space it's kind of like crazy the whoever they designed it it's like wonky and ugly to be honest not saying that george isn't great but it's just like a very ugly designed like play i've never been to george i feel like i'm, I'm so missing out on like that one aspect of like gay irish culture yeah, it's like one play. Oh, yeah, doesn't that come back to yourself? Where this thing and that's like, the thing. Yeah, because, yeah like gay, gay Irish culture puts so much emphasis on like clubbing and like meeting people and dancing and, you know, going home with someone randomly and all that kind of thing. Like yeah. they're all luxuries that I cannot afford. I can't afford to go home with someone randomly, number one, because nobody will go home with me. And number two, I'm physically incapable of doing it. Like, even, like, I, I've i said that I can kind of link everything back to being a transport issue and or being a disability issue. And one-night stands are no different. Like, even if I do manage to find someone that's like, oh, come on, like, off you pop. And I can't get into a, t- a regular taxi. Yeah. And then if by some miracle we find an accessible taxi, like, I don't know how accessible this person's house is. I don't know, like, what width the doors are. And I don't really want to ask them as a form of foreplay. So, like, it's just, it's so unsexy. And, yeah, like, the transport system, the housing system, like, clubs are all societal barriers placed in my way purely to stop me getting my home <laughs> and I will not hear otherwise. If it's any constellation, nobody wants to go home with me either. But that's probably, you know, because of the personality and the looks. Mm. <sighs> Stupid thing like that. Um, yeah, I mean, it is a big... Sorry, go on, Jill. No, I just want to say, like, oh, the only people who want to go home with me are, like, old men. I mean, older men, let's be honest. Like, some of them scare me. I'm like, oh, goodbye. But, like, I completely understand. <laughs> it isn't sexy to be like, so, like, how will I get into your place? Like, wink, yeah. wink. <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink, have you got stairs? <laughs> like, it's just, it's just not one of them conversations. Um, oh yeah, I live I live in a flat on the twentieth floor. Um, there's no elevators. Uh, just you know, we we'll get a catapult. A lot of places do have elevators, but like yeah, 
Oh, yeah. It's just the, like quite narrow hallways are kind of crazy <laughs> sometimes. I'm like, girl, what the hell? This is a horror movie. It's like a murderer living here. We, we just saw the this way, Kyle. This way. I do answer. Narrow spaces, like. What? You, you know yeah. about this canal, right? The boat? The evergreen? Oh, yeah. yeah. The Seuss Canal. Seuss canal. Sorry. Canal. Mm-hmm. Um, we can see how, like, how trouble narrow spaces can be. So. <laughs> Oh yeah, like uh, the, the Suez Canal situation is just me trying to turn in the hallway. I imagine that that scene from Austin Powers <laughs> where he has like little <laughs> he's trying to turn the the big thing. Yeah, make your shit yeah. wider. Do you have any alternative community spaces then that you find more accessible and that's like you find your people? In summary, no. Um, okay. Like. I obviously I found the entire gay Dublin cohort on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, is a godsend because they've like congregated in like one space. And, you know, if I follow one person, chances are I'm going to follow like 10 more because like either they're friends with that person, they've dated that person, and they're unavo- unavoidably linked via like some kind of like spider web of gay um but that was like my way of finding (laughs) finding friends and you know you know I'm right like you'll bump into a random gay on the street and then we'll bump into five of their exes within like sorry yeah I I was just thinking of like a spider-man when you said that yeah it's like Peter Parker in a book getting rainbows But yeah, like I obviously I found like some of my closest friends on Twitter Um, and you know, which has its pros and cons because like random people are like coming up to you. They're like, oh, I follow you on Twitter and they kind of, they assume this like weird familiarity between us and like I'm a naturally friendly person. My friend calls me aggressively friendly in that like I will aggressively befriend someone like my friendship is zero to a hundred if I want to be friends with you like I will be your friend like oh are you one of those extroverts who adopt introverts yeah exactly yeah um and I'm very much like kind of the the motherly the ma friend you know I'm the very kind of motherly presence like when we were all away in America like I was the one that carried like bug spray and like so extra sun cream and like mosquito bands for everyone and like they'd be coming up to me and they'd be like oh do you have this and I'm like yeah here and like I'm very much kind of one of them people that like if you know I'll bring you out and I'll get you into an absolute state but I will look after you afterwards <laughs> that's the that's the main thing but um yeah kind of finding my community online is something that's kind of been very very important and has made the whole situation very easy but like social spaces like no it's kind of it's been a place um it's been a kind of thing where like I've met my friends online already let's find like a random public restaurant to like go for brunch or something and then end up like getting stupidly twisted on daytime cocktails you know because that's the that's the bonding experience yeah. But um yeah, I think overall like Dublin is kinda hailed by the rural gays as this like haven of of gay. And you know, so many people know and you can you know, you can make friends and you know, you can date and all that kind of thing so freely. Yeah. Unless you're disabled. In other words in 
And then you can just kind of, it's like, oh no, not for you. And you're like, wait, but I'm gay. And it's like, mm, no, not for you. <laughs> because even thinking, I think, because I live in Kilkenny, and I guess it's rural, I suppose. There was, when I was a teenager, or I was like a child teenager, there was a gay bar that I think, maybe it was, no, it wasn't accessible. And then that got shut down. Then it became like a strip club. So then it was like, oh, the closest place is Dublin or Waterford. Then I think the Waterford place shut down. So yeah, Dublin's kind of seen as this like beacon of hope for like the queer and gay people. And it often isn't. Yeah, exactly. Okay, just what did you study for your like postgraduate is that called? So, yeah, so I studied film and TV um, as my undergrad um, because I didn't want to do a real, I didn't want to have a real job ever um so it was just kind of a case of I was like 17 I didn't really know what I wanted to do so I was like yeah grand that'll do and then I went on to do my postgrad I did drop out of it in the end but um because it was hard but I was doing it on representation of disabled people in Irish cinema well it was kind of I like used Irish examples but it was kind of a worldwide thing and like my my supervisors were great, but they didn't kind of get the whole like culture element of things. Like they saw kind of disability as like a it's something that happens to you, and it's something like it's it's a way that you live rather than anything. Um, whereas I kind of wanted to look at it from kind of the community perspective and the cultural perspective of you know it has its own history and it has its own language and. You know, there there are ways, and even languages within languages, like there there's a whole other sign language specifically for African-American English. And, like, that was something I never knew. And I just, I wanted to keep going, and I wanted to keep studying, and they were like, oh, no, focus on the film. Because they were film, like, professors. And I just felt that, like, I couldn't, I couldn't do... I couldn't do the the work that I wanted to do. So, and then I had my stroke in November. So I was like, hmm, there's a, there's an easy out. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I had this stroke and, you know, I, I don't really know when I can come back. And they were like, it's completely fine. And I was like, ha ha ha, nice, easy way out. Um, And it sounds funny now to kind of, you know, call my stroke an easy way to do anything. Um, But... You know, it's kind of, it's given me a lot of perspective, I suppose, in terms of like to slow down and all that kind of thing. Wait, so was your stroke in 2019 or 2020? 2020, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So, uh, like even, yeah, like people are kind of reaching out to me to do this and that. And I was like, I've had a stroke. <laughs> like other like other times I would have been like, yeah, of course, no bother, no problem. And I was very much kind of, I wasn't appreciative of my own time. Like I didn't, I didn't appreciate like my own peace and I was just saying yes to everything. Like I could be in college, then I'd be up in Dublin doing something. Then I could be like in Belfast or something doing another thing. And then I'd be back to college and just kind of blew up in my face. So it's kind of, it's very much made me more kind of appreciative of my time and it's made me, kind of obviously like situations like these where like I'm 
you know, talking to to use and like I only really pick things that I think are important to to be here for, you know, that kind of way. Yeah. Like I like to think that I I'm offering some kind of different alternative perspective to an issue. And I kind of I look at like the various different things that I've been asked to do and the ones that I've turned down have just been the same thing. And it's just not for me anymore. Like that's a that's the old me. Like kind of being non-binary, you know, I was very kind of it was it was a weird kind of journey because I was still using she pronouns. I was using kind of she they interchangeably, and then all of a sudden, I think it was International Women's Day. I was like, wait a minute, I'm not a woman. <laughs> You know, and I don't identify with any kind of, you know, any kind of like womanness. Like the she in the she they just felt really strange and alien to me. And I don't know whether like this was like a thing that built up or whether it just kind of happened where I was like, mm, nope. And. I had to like pull out of events. I was like, look, I, you know, that's not me anymore. And it felt so weird to do that because that had been like my, my role for so long had been in very much a women's space. Then all of a sudden I was like, whoa, (laughs) there's something to unpack. So I think the, the kind of, the change in me, using they them pronouns and dropping the she pronoun and how it's changed my kind of gender journey if that doesn't sound too corny um has been good for me so lana um being having not much access to um lgbt spaces how do you kind of keep yourself sane especially now i guess at the moment with lockdown and the fact that no one can really access anywhere yeah, like, I think what's kind of an interesting thing, like, I went into full cocoon lockdown last year. And it was kind of, it's a, it's a weird situation where people were like, oh, you know, going for walks, like, with their friends and, you know, getting coffee. And they still had some kind of level of of social interaction um, pre, like, big lockdown. Um And I was just kind of, you know, sat at home and I was like, why do they get to, you know, have like coffee dates? Um, And I was really kind of bitter about it for ages. And like, I was very much kind of, I was becoming a bit of like a curtain twitcher, like kind of seeing my friends, like following the rules, like still, but like, I was like getting no attention or anything. And I was fuming because I was in Calvin and they were obviously in Dublin. Um... But it was just very much, you know, a thing of staying connected, like, with my friends and, you know, kind of doing, I do radio, sorry, I do regular video calls with my friends um, and we catch up, like, on the goss in each other's lives and kind of the, the boys and girls and all that kind of thing. I briefly had a lockdown thing with someone. And that ended. Um, 
And that was kind of a weird one as well because, like, obviously, like, I would have loved to have had my mates there for support, but they couldn't. They couldn't obviously come down because of lockdown, and it was it was a weird situation. Um, but yeah, dating in a pandemic would not recommend. Um, yeah, it's just sure. it's it's just not it's not it's not good, especially for someone whose love language is like affection, like physical affection. Um. But yeah, definitely like just online, me and my friend do a movie night like once a week where we will only watch kids films. We have never, like we were both um, media students and we have never watched a film that wasn't for kids. And they were basically like, oh, you know, should we do this? And I'm like, no, we watch kids films. It's what we do. Like, (laughs) that's the brand. Don't ruin it. Um, I'm the exact same. Like, I don't know. It's just something about like Pixar films that are like, or like you know, uh, whatever, whatever studio streamworks stuff that are like. I don't. Do you ever feel like adult films are just so, you know, what's going to happen next? The same thing kind of reality. Yeah, like you just have to think about. You just have to think about them, and I'm like, no, no thought, brain empty. <laughs> like, let me watch this like brain soup, like. Um, yeah, I guess I want to watch Mega Mind for the fourth time. Yeah, hundred percent. Why not? Um, our our latest escapade is we're going to watch the Chronicles of Narnia purely to roast this shit out of that little Tory for selling his kid, <laughs> selling his family off to, for Turkish oh, delight. Edmund. Oh. Edmund, like we we have agreed that we would also probably do the same if it was for something good. But like not Wait, for not for Turkish hold, delight. Hold, hold on, hold on. Are you saying Turkish delight isn't good? Yes, I am, and I will die um, on hill. Okay, so we're going to end the podcast. Today. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just that that little Tory. Um, but yeah, like just little lighthearted things, like that, just kind of help people stay connected. I have taken up online shopping since I got a job. Oh, that's great. Congratulations. Um, thank you. But um, yeah, like it, online shopping, also good. It's not in any way healthy, but it helps me. Um, and yeah, I think the main thing is just like, it was the same thing I was doing before because there was no kind of, I couldn't do anything in the community because nowhere was successful. So I think kind of the big thing would be to kind of learn from disabled people and how they stay connected because like we've been doing this a lot longer than able-bodied people have or non-disabled people I should say able-bodied people is a bit it's a bit dodge but um yeah like non-disabled people are like oh you know isolation like staying home and like disabled people are just like staring they're like what <laughs> like we've been doing this like yeah cry about it <laughs> I, I don't know i don't think this is like maybe the same as your experiences but i had really bad depression um before i kind of came out and like i was literally like at home for maybe two years i didn't really leave my house or anything and in a, in a weird way that experience has kind of built me up for like nearly the lockdown especially because now I have a lot more support and like friends and stuff and 
yeah, like I think it's one of them things where people, you know, no matter what they've been through, that experience kind of long periods of time at the house. Like we've been training for this nearly. This yeah, COVID nineteen is our it Olympics. Kind of feel because <laughs> it's it's like well, all these ways I kind of had to kind of help me cope with depression and stuff. I can kind of use now to cope with kind of being a bit lonely and and especially as well I think the difference for me is that I have um I, I have like a, more support I guess from like friends like Ali and Jules and I'll be like I'll text them because I'll be stressed out about college work and stuff and you know no it is because like you yeah. know at the end of the day like, not, like totally disabled people people who have experienced anything like they have those coping mechanisms and they have like their their way around things so you know talk to them and be like you've done this so how do I get through this and um, but very much I'm I'm conscious of kind of asking because I think that's been a big thing with this pandemic where people have asked disabled people you know their to give their their view their views and their opinions and you know disabled people are experts in their own experience and should be paid should be paid as such and I think people have very much taken the disabled experience as like free labor nearly and they've kind of you know looked at it and kind of said you know oh well like teach us things and without without kind of regard for why you've had those experiences yeah like there's there's no kind of consideration for like the emotional the psychological effects that you know able-bodied or non-disabled people are just like okay teach us everything and then we're gonna go again and still continue to ignore you exist until we need you again i think that's maybe where you know the, the kind of note we'll end on and that kind of i think that's that's something people can like think about in a way um that that just that sense of yeah making space and making you know considering disabled people as not as an afterthought but and and the, the experience to say people might have those experiences uh thank you so much lana nice one thing i conceded after to like remember yeah as well um, not just to be like oh i will but like you better do a bitches basically we need no, more discos with less <laughs> stairs and free alcohol that's yeah yeah to make up for it and free alcohol. Free alcohol for disabled people because you have kept us out for so long. Um, you can follow me on... <laughs> no, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Alana E. Murray. Um, and there's like a link tree in my in my kind of description where like the, you have other bits like kind of stuff I've done and my LinkedIn if you're like a business gay or anything like that. So there you go. <laughs> I'm a professional business gay. Get those connections. Uh, thank you, Anne. This is the Conversations podcast. Um, you can check out our Facebook, our Twitter, and our website. Uh, the website is the Silence Collective. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.